Good evening. Be turning to 1 John, the fifth chapter. Did a little, we got the ball rolling a little quick. Will said I need it. He, he, he makes all of those presentations. He can do all of that. But he told me, he said, Dad, I need a, we need a Bible verse. And I said, well, let's just go with the one that we've got for our class tonight, or at least the first little bit of it, not all of it. But I thought the first little bit of it would, uh, that, that would work out, uh, could work out good for us tonight. So uh, he, did, uh, he did that. But tonight we are going to be talking about the petitions that we ask of God. And rarely do we use the word petition anymore, with one exception. You will see the word petition floating around or described when people want something changed. Typically, a petition will require people to give signatures, maybe a phone number or an address to prove who they are, and a certain number of petitions, a certain number of signatures can get it on a ballot or can get it discussed. In fact, I believe this was when President Obama had hadn't been in there long and they updated the White House website and it included the ability to petition. And according to the rules, if there were, it was a really low amount of signatures, if there were a certain number of signatures, then the president had to address whatever the petition was. It was just a rule that they had not. But it was like such a small number. And so they got this petition going that basically, I, I, I can't give you all the details, but it required, it was something sort of Star Wars related. So President Obama had to stand in front of the press and address this Star Wars related question that had been asked in a petition. And so afterwards, like the next week, they changed it to where the number had to go a lot higher. Because it's like, we can't address every single crazy question that anybody's going to, uh, going to present. And that's what I always think about when I think about petitions. The word petition, though, uh, if, if you can go back in time a little bit, is actually one of the five freedoms that is mentioned in the First Amendment to the Constitution. The first part of that is the ability, is the, what we would call today freedom of religion. Uh, probably a better way to say it was freedom from religion, that the state will not make a religion that you're required to attend. There's no law that says you have to go to church. There's no law that says you have to worship any particular way. Uh, but that's the first one. There's the freedom of speech that we have. And sometimes people get that confused. Yes, you do have the ability to speak. You also have the, uh, there's also consequences that sometimes come with free speech uh, that goes along with it. You have the freedom of the press. We have newspapers and the various other forms of things that have become press. But the fourth part of the First Amendment is the freedom to petition. And it's the ability to ask the government for redress in some sort of issue. Now, if we think about the word petition as the ability to ask for something, that's what we're going to look at tonight. We petition God in what manner? How do we petition? Through prayer. Through prayer. And what we're doing in a petition is no different than what the First Amendment allows you to do to the government and what the Star Wars fans requested of President Obama. That is to ask a question. Now, the president did not do what the people wanted. There's no guarantee 
if you petition any one of anything, then anything's going to be done. The only thing that's guaranteed is by the word petition that that person is going to hear what has been asked of you. So I want us to think about that tonight when we, to, to, as we get started with what petitioning is, is that we are simply asking for something. Okay? The importance of asking for something. By the way, if you were curious, we didn't get to the fifth one. The fifth freedom is the freedom of assembly, which we have pe- to peaceably assemble. You never hear the word peaceably anymore. But uh, let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. And we're going to finish 1 John tonight. We've had COVID interruptions all over the place, but we're going to finish 1 John tonight if we have to stay all night. Right, Jimmy? We'll stay all night if we have to. I, was, I don't know if Jimmy would be in agreement with that or not. <laughs> you know, this, the Bible story when a guy falls asleep and falls out the window, we can make sure you're on the low floor here, so we don't have to, don't have to worry about that. First John chapter 5, we read verses 14 and 15 uh, on the screen just a moment ago, but let's do 14, 15 again, plus... 16 and 17. Jill, do you care to read 1 John 5, 14 through 17? Now, there's a couple of interesting things to get into in those last two verses, but I don't want us to go there just yet. I want us to look at verse 14 to start with. What does God promise to do when we pray according to verse 14? He will hear us. Now, we read that. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. What does it mean to have confidence in something? You believe that it's going to happen. You know? And there are people in our lives that we have confidence in, and there are people in our lives that we don't have confidence in. Um, and, and, and we know the difference, right? There are people that you know can, you know, at work can get this job done, and there are people that you know cannot get this job done. And there are people that you know can help you with something, and you believe you know they can. But if we have confidence in someone, or if we have confidence in something, we believe that that person can help us. We believe that that person is going to do what they have said to us. So if we read right there what Jill said, now this is the confidence that we have in him. Him is capitalized. Who is our confidence in here? All right. So if we have, if we ask anything according to what? His will. Then what? He hears us. So the promise that God, what does God promise to do when we pray? You already said it, but what is it? He promises to hear us, but we can't put a period there. He promises to hear us if what? If we, if it's his will. If we do it according to his will. So that doesn't, does that mean that I can say, God, help me out here. Or do I need to approach in a certain way? You remember when we talked about, it's been a few months ago, we talked about the model prayer. Remember that lesson that we had? And the fact that the model prayer is not something that needs to be recited, but rather the sages, the model prayer taught us how to pray. You know, when we're going to pray, we have to approach in the right way. 
But we have confidence that God will hear what we have to say. Now, I like the last sentence there. We have confidence that he will what? What does that not say? There's a big difference in hearing and doing, right? I'd probably give the example, but you all can relate to it as well, either as parents or as children. When you ask mom or dad for something and they said, maybe, or, yeah, well, mom heard me. I didn't necessarily mean she's going to do what we asked. That's the same thing right there. What if God said, what, what if this said right here in verse 14, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will give it to us? What if it said that? That's entirely different. That sounds great, right? That sounds great. Because that means then that I can go home and I can pray, Dear Lord, I would love for you to give me a million dollars. Well, according to what I would have read there, what would the answer be? What's the problem with that line of thinking, though? God turns into a genie in an ATM machine right there if we're not careful. And we're using God, you know? You know the story of the goose that laid the golden egg? What did they do to the goose? You know, the, you know the story. They laid a golden egg every day. Eventually, what did they do? Y'all don't know that story? No. The goose that laid the golden egg. We know this story? So the goose lays every day. It lays a golden egg. But they got too old. This problem. The Lord, I'd say this is maybe King James. Maybe the Bible is telling the same story. So what happened here is that they had this goose lays this golden egg every day. You get a golden egg every day. They eventually kill it to get all the eggs out from the inside. There was, there, was no, there was no more. And they got greedy. If that said, if verse 14 said, you can ask God of anything, and he'll just give it to you no matter what, what will happen to people just like those people? We'll get what? You're going to get greedy. I want this. I want this. I want this. Turns into a Christmas list, right? The little chart. This is what I want from Sam. This, 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 and this. He says, I will hear your prayer. You got something? I just think about the far side. I saw the other day. The far side thing. This guy's on the deserted island. He's decrepit. And he, this genie pulls up and he said, uh, he said, well, I've got music and I've got rhythm. Really, who could ask for anything? <laughs> So, if we go into verse 15, and we'll come back with 14 and 15, so don't, don't leave them, but put them together. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. But are there any limitations as to what we can ask God for? Are there any limitations to what we can ask God for? Like, I, I can ask for this, and I can ask this, I can't ask for that. Is, do we see any of that? Mary? I don't, so. I don't think we see anything there that limits what we can ask for. So I think then that what we see here, I agree with that. You know, I don't think we have anything that would 
limit what we could. The only limitations that I see is back in verse 14 that says we have to do it how? According to his will. And that's where the limitation may not the right word, but that's where it comes in. Like, you know, what I'm asking for may not be what I'm getting. Or I may get it in a different way than I'm asking. Well, I was just going to say that sometimes the answer is no. Right. It is. Because I can give you a good example of that. When I was at the Fort Logan Church, there was a fellow out there that had brain cancer, and he was fairly young. And they decided they would meet uh, Sunday afternoon. All of us men would come in and pray for him. I, I heard some of the best prayers go up that I ever heard from several people there to spare his life. He died about five days later, and that just floored me. You know, I couldn't. It, it's like I say, sometimes the answer is no. Yeah, Bible tells us that God's will should not separate his lives. And the correct answer to what you just told, Leland, would have been for that man who went to the doctor and everything been fine. He'd live forever. Nothing. No, you know, that's what we, that's what I would have done. I heard three or four of those things like, oh, we got to fix this guy, man, this guy. We don't think, we, we don't have the ability to think like God thinks. And that's the hard part, right? Because I can, I can understand, even the people that I think are crazy, a lot of times I can still try to understand the way they think. I can't think like God thinks. You know, because all of my thinking almost always comes back to me. You know, I think about how this relates to me. Now, I'm interested in you and your well-being. I don't want you to hear it wrong, but it's always come back because I'm not really thinking about people that don't connect to me. Who's God thinking about? Everybody. I can't, I can't wrap my head around I can't think about all of you all, much less what, what, God, what, what God is dealing with. God thinks eternally, too. Yes. Yes, we're thinking about Friday, from today to Friday. You're exactly right. So when we see this, the limitations, I, I agree. I think, Mary, you're exactly right. I think there's nothing wrong with asking God for what we need. But I think we need to be careful about that as well. Because if we're not careful, what we judge as needs are in many cases wants. You know? They're in many cases wants. And I, I've tried to think about that. Because Brian Hall has been here twice in the last couple of months. And what Brian Hall has shown on those images on the screen makes me question how many wants I have in my life. Because if there's people that live in the world in 2020 that are getting by with what they got, then a lot of things that we ask for are maybe things we're just kind of hoping we get. Does that make sense to anybody? Do we understand kind of what that is? Now, are there conveniences? Are there things that make our life easier? Absolutely. But are there conveniences that make our life easier that might actually pull us away from God? Probably that too. Probably that too. Thoughts? Questions? Let's go to verse 16. If anyone sees his brother... This is, a, this is interesting to me. I thought verses... Uh, 16 and 17, but 16 in particular. And one other thing before you go to that, uh, I think I was just thinking that uh, we would be foolish to try to ask anything of God that would be vulgar, sure, immoral, because mm-hmm. God can't be around sin, and certainly He would not even. I mean, not here would be even not even the nice place that He. It would be so far removed from 
So right. and we do ask for things that are immoral. I mean, sure. And, uh, uh, and we may not even know they're immoral, you know. And uh, uh, we, God would not hear things. Well, I think that's what verse 14 says, according to his will. Right. Know? But I think that's exactly right, that, that approach, yeah. And the qualification of according to his will assumes that we know his will. Sure. It's okay for us to speak in our own language to him because he's going to answer in his own language. That's right. That's a, that's a really good point as well. You know, we, we don't have any idea of what his, I'll use the word logic, that's not the right way, but what God's logic would be and why this is granted. And this is not why some people, you know, who should not be in that hell die, and some people who are, you know, 100 years old and have done everything in the world wrong and are still alive and kicking. You know, we make all those judgments and try to figure out why this or why that, and and it's really hard to it's hard to come up with an answer. But like I said, we're trying to, you know, he's answering it in the language that's different than what ours is. Other thoughts on it. <laughs> we, I'd say more often than not, we probably don't know what we need. If, if truth be, truth be, yeah, you're right. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. One of the things that sometimes is difficult when you read the Bible is it sometimes feels like that some statements that are really important <laughs> kind of go around in circles. And I think verses 16 and verses 16 in particular. You know, it's one of those examples of, you know, why say 10 words when you say 50, right? You know, you just want to say, make this a little bit clearer for me right here. So I want us to look at this uh, here to start with. So John sort of starts this with maybe uh, with the topic of sin leading to death. Now, do we see examples in the Bible of sin leading to death? But, but, I mean, I... Don't think too hard about this. I can. In the, in the very, on the first few chapters of the Bible, he sees his brother, he hates his brother because of God accepted his brother's sacrifice, didn't accept his, uh -huh. he hated him so badly that he killed him. Okay. So it led to that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, it led to his so that's a physical death. Okay. Are there examples of sin leading to spiritual death in the Bible? That's, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, if sin doesn't lead to a spiritual death, why are we baptized? Why become a Christian? There's, there's no need for it, right? You know, once we are of age, once we understand what's being taught of us, what's being taught to us, what's being asked of us, once we are of an age of understanding what's right and wrong, then we know when we're doing wrong, that sin is leading to a spiritual death. That's why people are baptized. Now, what is that age? Who knows? There is no specific age. You know, it's not like a driver's license. When you get 16, you go get the car. 
That's not the way this works. I don't know what it might be seven years old for somebody, it might be 85 for somebody else. I have no idea. But we see examples biblically, uh, excuse me, physically and spiritually in the Bible of people sin leading to death. So let's keep that in mind just a bit. Okay? So when we read this, if we think about physical death first, let's, let's talk about physical death first. Sometimes do we think about what are the physical consequences of sin? You ever thought about that? Just the straight up physical consequences of sin. What are some examples of physical consequences of sin? I see the man in Nicholsville waiting for the liquor store to open. Sure. And then later that day, he's been over his walker double. Yeah. That's a physical consequence of sin. What are any other examples of a physical consequence of sin? Sure. What else? David was, a, was an example of that. Yes. What he, God told him, he said, I'm going to forgive you of your sins, but you're, the consequence of that sin is going to carry on for two or three generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you think about like consequences of sin, obviously, uh, you know, there, as you said, there's health issues. They come people that, 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 in a sense, kill themselves. Not, you know, taking their own life, but decisions, that, that sinful decisions they make drives their health into uh, disrepair. There are um, social aspects of sin, kind of what Mary was talking about with, you know, with the family. Your example, Leland of David in the Bible. There's criminal punishment that can come from sin. The person that hit me in my truck a couple weeks ago had made some pretty sinful decisions. You know, I don't know that we call them sins, but apparently she was intoxicated. Why didn't he be doing that? Or fleeing from the police. Why don't he be doing that? You know, she was hurt. They took her from the wreck to the hospital before she went to jail. That's a criminal. And she's going to get in trouble for the decisions that she's made. So there's physical problems that can come from it. There's social problems that can come from it. There's criminal problems all of these are things that can, that can be physical consequences of sin. Are Christians immune to sin or the consequences thereof? No. Not at all. Not at all. You're sitting there the other day totally innocent. Yes. And you get hit by somebody who's totally guilty. Uh-huh. And through no fault of your own, you're just, and it could have been much worse. You could have been yeah. sealed, and people do get But that's but you're exactly right. But then we also think about too the you know there are people that have made awful decisions for the first fifty years of their life, and then they choose to become a Christian. That's wonderful. Do those people sometimes still die because of the health ailments that came from their bad decisions? Those are physical consequences. So as a Christian, we're not immune to this. We still have to pay an earthly price. For what happens, for, for, for our choices, for our, for our sins, or maybe for the sins of others. That's just how uh, it, it sort of works, okay? So if you think about then those physical, sense, uh, those, those physical consequences to it. So let's go then to verse 17. All what does it say in verse 17? All what? Unrighteous. All unrighteousness is what? All unrighteousness 
is sin. You may have the word disobedience in your Bible. It depends on your translation, but unrighteousness, disobedience, it, it all kind of works the same way. But if, if all disobedience to God is sin, well, then we know that sin is wrong. Some disobedience, some unrighteousness, whatever word you want to use right there, can lead to immediate death. Have there been people who have died immediately due to sinful decisions? Absolutely. Have there been people who died a long, long, long time after bad decisions? Of course not. Because we're all, the Bible says all men are appointed what? Once a what? So you already know you're going to die. So sometimes those decisions that are made can speed it up or can slow it down or somewhere in between. But there's consequences that exist. And the Bible tells us there in verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin then and there is what? So let's think about that for a second. If we said just a moment ago that sin leads to death, a spiritual death and a physical death, what does the last part of that verse say? And there is sin not leading to death. What do we think on that? If you go back and read verse 16, there's also a similar question that can come up. Uh, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Verse 16 and 17, there appears to say there's sin that won't lead to death. Is that what it's saying? Okay. Now, I like what we're now kind of thinking in the right direction. We can talk about however you want to. Because I think there's an, I think it's important to keep both of those in mind. I'm a little confused here because I always understood that sin separates you from God. Mm -hmm. And if you're separated from God, you cannot go to heaven. So uh, uh, are we talking, like you said, spiritual death here? Let's keep in mind that the whole context here, verses 14 through 17, is about praying and asking for petition. So if we go back and look at verse 16, lowercase h's and capital h's are really important in verse 16. If anyone sees his lowercase brother, that's me seeing somebody that I worship with, somebody that I'm connected with. If, I, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he, lowercase again, I'm asking, I'm going to pray, and he, capital H, will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Now, it can get a little bit confusing right there. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. I don't want to get us too deep in the weeds right here, but I think what we're seeing here is that do I need to pray for my brothers whether or not they are sinning or not? Whether their sin can get, lead them to death or can lead them into down a bad road. Okay. But the heading to these scriptures in my Bible says confidence and compassion in prayer. Yes. Which kind of leads back to what you were saying about the praying for people who are sitting. Yes, you always pray for your brother. I agree with you. There we go. You always pray. I think so too. Uh, Judas uh, betrayed Jesus. Right. And rather than pray about it, 
and your pen of it, you know, like he should have. God could have took him back. Sure. But he chose the he, he chose uh, to, to kill himself. And there that sin that he committed led to death. The sin did not lead to forgiveness mm -hmm. or repentance or anything like that. Because he chose that was the choice he made. Uh, there are people that are terrible drunks that we would pray for and pray for and pray for. And uh, they're killing themselves. And you know they're killing themselves. And you continue to pray. And I agree with Mary, we should continue to pray for those people. But sometimes those prayers, those people aren't helping you helping right. prayer at all because they are not going to quit drinking, you know, for instance. And they absolutely, we just watch them drive the nails in their coffin, as we say. Yeah. Other thoughts? I'm going to read. I, I, this is something that I, that I, I, I read online and I, I thought it was a, thought it was a pretty good, there, there may be some things that we disagree with, but just a quick paragraph. Uh, it, it, this is what it says. This same comment seems to suggest, and this is from a, uh, from a commentary, seems to suggest that prayers for more grievous sins are less likely to be answered. Now that's just somebody's view on this. If I'm praying for somebody, you know, who's, you know, done something, a, a grievous sin. And I know we don't, we don't rank sins, but I think we understand, you know, kind of what, what we're seeing right here. It seems to suggest, again, this is a commentary. It's not me talking, I'm reading. Grievous sins are less likely to be answered. However, this verse does not say we should not pay, pray for Christians caught in worse sins. So it would seem to say that no matter what sin has been committed, we need to pray for that person, Christian or, or, or not. Others have interpreted this as a reminder that prayers for an unbeliever whose sins are still, quote, leading to death should focus on their salvation and not necessarily their sin. Now, I think we can interpret this a lot of different ways. But I think if we know people that are engaged in sin that are not Christians, what do we need to do? Pray. We need to pray for them. Now, do we need to help them? Do we need to teach them? Do we... Do we we need to do all that? Sure. But we, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. If we know Christians engaged in sin, do we need to pray for them? What if it's, you know, what if it's, uh, you know, the third worst sin, or if it's the 21st worst sin? Does that matter? No. I don't think so. But the Bible does seem to show that there are people that we know that are engaged in activities that may not let their life last very long. Is it important that we pray for that person or work with that person pretty quickly? If you see somebody that drinks and drives every single night, how long are they likely to be here with us? Probably not very long. Now, what Tony said a minute ago, if you see somebody that tells you a lie every day, that's probably not going to physically kill them like drinking and driving would. You know, I'm not saying that I need to wait on that one, but I might need to wait on somebody who's putting themselves in harm's way. Because how many chances do we have to become a Christian after you die? None. No. Alright. Now, I don't this is kind of a combo deal of how I would interpret this and how I think you would. I don't know that that's an easy uh, approach to answer, and I think Connie makes a pretty good point right there. It's kind of worded a little bit confusingly uh, there within it as well. But I think, I hope our lesson would be there that for us, we need to make sure that we're praying for everyone. I would hope that's what we've got. Uh huh. Uh huh. Hears us. 
So he's going to be the one to decide what we need to ask him and pray. Absolutely. Others. Let's look at the last couple. You know, I made a big, big speech about us getting done. Now we actually have to get done. I can't let us uh, uh, hold out any longer. Jimmy, do you care to read verses 18 through 21, my friend? I do want to say something real quick before we get to these verses that Jimmy just read. This has been uttered from pulpits and places wherever. I'm the, I'm the, where's that autoplastic? I am in no way, shape, or form an authority on all things biblical. If we read something or if we see something, and we, if, if you read one of those verses and you view that a little bit differently than me, that's okay. Alright? I'm not tr- I, I can't stand up here and say that this is 100% what that verse means. Because that's what I'm saying is this is 100% what I think it means. There are, there are verses in the Bible that I struggle with. There are verses in the Bible that I read today and I think it means this and I'll read it tomorrow and I think it reads that, but I've been reading them for 40 years and I still don't really know exactly what it means. So I don't want you to ever think, and I know people say this, but I'm saying this as well. I don't want you to ever think, or even worse, leave here and say, Daniel said, that's what it is. If you're relying on me to be your answer, you're making a mistake. Because the Bible is open interpretation, but it's, it's, it's up to you. Right? Now I can guide you, I can hopefully coach you, teach you, help you, I can maybe answer questions, but you can answer questions for me as well. So I don't want you to ever think, if there's ever anything that we discuss and you're not 100% necessarily in agreement with it, I understand that. We can talk about that. You know, if it's something that does, deals with salvation, that's one thing. But I think this is something here that can be complicated and confusing. And my answer might not be satisfactory to you tonight and that's okay. I just want to say that real quick before we go any further. I don't want to ever think that I'm up here, I have all the answers. All right? You know, like the old wrestler said, every time I think I got all the answers, you change the questions. Well, that sort of happens in life. You know, sometimes we feel like we know it all, and then, you know, things change and we don't know it anymore. So I just wanted to throw that out there real quick. Uh, verse 18, in what way can the evil one, uh, I guess we could read it there, uh, within, not touch the righteous? Chapter 5, verse 18, how can, you know, how does the wicked, how do we keep the, how does the wicked one, it says at the end, not touch the righteous? Well, people that are in the hand of Jesus, that have been baptized believers into Jesus Christ, and are walking in the light, cancer may come, heart disease may come, whatever, car accident may come, but they cannot snatch them from him. If those people, Jesus will deliver to God at the judgment day and say, this person God is going to deserve hell. And not that they deserve it, but I pay the price. Right. And right. So the wicked one, he cannot win. He cannot yes. win. He could not. When Jesus ascended from the grave, he lost the battle. And now he's still going to fight every, try to get everybody can to go to hell. 
that he cannot take Daniel to hell. It don't matter if you die when you're 30 years old. You cannot, he cannot take you to hell if you're in Christ. The description of being in the hand there is a pretty good one if you read the next verse. Because verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world what? So think about how much of anything you can hold in your hand. You ever, you ever had too much in your hand and, and you dropped it and it spilled out? Right? Well, if we think about what can fit into the hand, that means there's a whole lot of things that can't fit in the hand. Which means that there's a whole lot of world that's not in you know, the, the, the hand of God, if you want to use the way you described it, uh, sort of right there. So that means that we're going to come into contact with what? With sin. If we go back to the river, we need to pray for those folks. We need to try and help those folks. We're going to come into contact there, but there's comfort in knowing that we are, you know, sort of held into, in God's hand. Those that are born uh, of God, as we see in verse 18. Verse 20. What insight, what knowledge, what understanding has God given to us? Thank you, sir. He sent, God sent his son to be a sacrifice for our sins. But Jesus doesn't just show up and then they kill him and that's it. What do we have from Jesus that helps us to understand what a Christian should do? Example. Example. Teaching. And we have to know that he is our mediator. Absolutely. And he is making, constantly making intercession for us yes. with God. And we need that because we can't. We just keep on the we just keep on sipping up. Sure. We have to take advantage of that opportunity that Jesus offers to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So kind of put all that together, uh, and we have there, Jesus sort of becomes, uh, this is his, God sending his son, you know, provides that understanding for us. Flip that around. If God, sends, if God doesn't send his son, what understanding and opportunities do we have? Zero. Zero. Now, we can Nineteen twelve, when Jim Thorpe won four gold medals at the Olympics in Sweden, the king put his medal around Jim Thorpe's head. Jim Thorpe was a Native American from Oklahoma, and he put the king of King Carl of Sweden puts a medal around Jim Thorpe's neck, and he said, "You may be the greatest athlete who has ever lived." And Jim Thorpe responded, "He said, thanks, king." <laughs> like he didn't know it when he was a Native American. I would say that King. Carl of Sweden had probably not been told thanks King very often. But you know, we have we kinda have that ability. Like we, you know, we should we should not even be allowed to talk to God, but the Bible tells us that we have the ability, you know, to approach. Yes. What what insight, what understanding have we been given? Uh, has God given us? The scripture that we have 
an example that we were given through Christ is information that we can use to reason right from wrong or good from evil. And I think the ability to worship and to decide how to worship can be innate as much as it can be a learned <laughs> it could be. I, I think I think that's fair to say. Other thoughts about what's been given to us. Verse twenty seem like an odd end to this. Does it seem odd? Verse twenty, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Because we haven't talked about idols at all anywhere in the last few verses. There. What is? What? Is, why is that there? I don't know that the word idol appears anywhere in the book of First John until the very end. And it, it, it could, you know, you could view that almost in a sense of like, Ben, told, the last time Ben preached, he told me at the end, he's like, I just completely left one whole thing out. He said, I realized that when I sat down, he said, I looked, he said, I sat down, I looked at the clock, and I thought, well, that's not good. Because he said, it should have been about five minutes longer. He said, well, I still have something out. You, know, you could read this and say, whoa, let's throw this in there as well. But if you actually go back in here and look at the book of 1 John, start at the very beginning. All right? If we start from the very beginning, it talks about, you can just look at the titles, of the, the, the headings, what was heard, seen, and touched, fellowship with him and one another, the test of knowing him, spiritual state, deceptions from the last hour, letting truth abide in you, sin and the child of God, the imperative of love. And we talked about how we show that love toward others other people, the spirit of truth, but also the spirit of error, seeing God through love, the consummation of love, obedience by faith. All of this stuff is the opposite of idols. All right? Because what is an idol? Something that takes the place of God. Something that takes the place of God. And every part of 1 John has returned back to us saying, love or not. Show that love toward one another. Verses 14 and 15 and 16, pray for one another as well. Don't let these other things get in the way of what's going to keep you from it. Because that word idol can be anything. It can be anything. We talked about that. It can be anything. But if we let any of those things get in the way, then we're not doing what we should be doing. So it maybe seems odd there. It maybe doesn't fit. But if we think about idol and anything that can pull us away from God, then all of 1 John has been talking about things that would get us closer to God. Mine has got 1 Thessalonians 1.9, and it says, For they themselves show with us what manner of entering we have unto you, and have you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9. Just kind of draw like a connecting verse. Yeah. Yes, sir. Your grandma Polly, every time she saw you, the last word she said to you, you left. Daniel will always be a good boy. Right. But she told me, no, <laughs> Right. always be a good boy. Uh, this may be John's, this, it, it may be his God's speed. It may he be, could be. I'll always be a good boy. Okay. 
thing. It could be, you know, because there certainly is uniqueness to the writers of the Bible. Sure. The Holy Spirit allowed their unique qualities to come out, even though they were guided by the Holy Spirit. And this is a very appropriate uh, admonition to anybody, regardless of what he's talking about. Right. In John has called his readers little children The whole time in the book. Other thoughts? And if you keep yourself from idols, you're going to be, you're, you're probably going to be keeping yourself in God's good grace. You know, you know, you're going to be looking to God instead of working these things. And like you said, idols can be so many different. We don't think of a, a blue monkey statue when we think of idols, but it's much more than that. It could be, a, it could be cars or trucks or houses or anything. 